we're in a sermon series right now called Flawed. And uh, um, it's uh, a sermon series where we're looking at the chapter in the Bible, Hebrews 11, that's known as the Hall of Faith chapter. And, it, and in this chapter, there's a bunch of men and women listed. And it, it describes a, a, just their story. And there's two things that all these men and women have in common. The first thing that we all, if you've been around the church, you kind of know about is their faith. They had this big, audacious faith. But the second thing that they had in common is that they were all flawed. Every single one of them was broken. They made mistakes. They had character flaws. They had these weaknesses. Nevertheless, God would invite them to take on giants. God would invite them to, to, to do the impossible. He would invite them to do these, these big, God-sized jobs. And, he, and, and not because they were, they were, they were per- perfect or anything. He saw their flaws, but because they were, they were going, okay, I'm not perfect. I'm flawed, but I'm going to step out in faith wherever God, God leads me. And so far in this series, we've, we've looked at two different people. We looked at Abraham, and we looked at a guy named Jephthah last week. And uh, today we're going to focus on one of my favorite uh, guys in the Bible. He's a man named Gideon. And uh, Clark already preached most of the message this morning during the worship time, but we're just going to keep going anyways. Um, before we get into the key verses I want to read this morning, I just want to set up the historical context for Gideon's story. Gideon shows up at a, at a time in Israel's history where the Israelites are facing a national crisis. They had a lot of these going on. Um, it was a crisis that was born of their, their own um, doing. They had wandered away from God again. So the Israelites got in this, this bad cycle over and over again. They would, they would uh, be close to God, and then uh, they would wander away from God, then they would repent, they would come back to God, then they would wander away from God, they would repent, they'd come back to God, they'd wander, they'd repent, wander, repent, wander, repent, back and forth, back and forth. Well, Gideon shows up in Israel's history when they're at a point where they have they're, they're in the, the wandering away from God stage. And as God so often did, he worked through four nations to bring his people back to himself. And so during Gideon's time, he comes along and he works through this people known as the Midianites. The Midianites, they oppressed, they terrorized the Israelites, which led the Israelites in their despair to cry out to God to come and rescue them. God hears their cry, and so he goes to work setting them free, bringing them back to himself. And the way he starts this work of healing, this work of freedom, this work of bringing them back to himself, is the same way he always does. It's by, he, uh, he, he goes looking for a leader. He goes looking for somebody who's going to go and, 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 and do the job that he has. He finds a, a willing man or woman and says, I want you to lead my people to freedom. And so one day, God comes for Gideon. And when he finds Gideon... Gideon is cowering in fear, and he's in a place where he's, he's, he's just, he's afraid, and he's weak, and God comes along, though, and he sees a man who's destined to do some great things, and so the first thing God says to him is, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I love how God with us, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't see us as we are, he says, sees us as we're becoming. He doesn't see weakness, he sees strength. He doesn't see brokenness, he sees, he sees wholeness. Where we see, see all of our flaws and all of our weaknesses and all of our shortcomings and all that stuff, God looks at us and he sees somebody who he can do some pretty great things through. And the reason that God is able to see a person, the person that we're becoming, is because God knows that if, if he's with us, that anything is possible. And so he says to Gideon, you might not feel like a mighty warrior, but, but here's the deal. 
with me by your side, you are one. Now, with Gideon, you would think that with, with God speaking to him with that kind of encouraging uh, uh, language that Gideon would just be all stoked, all excited, and just ready to go, take on the world. But instead, his response is much more human. He doubts God. He questions if God is really with him and his people because if God was with them, then the bad guys wouldn't be winning in this whole deal. And, and Gideon is not buying any of this stuff that God is saying, um, but, but God nevertheless is not deterred. He keeps going after Gideon. He keeps pushing in with Gideon. And next God says to him, Gideon, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. God's saying, yes, your team is losing, but I am going to send you anyways. But this little pep talk that God is having with Gideon is not yielding a whole lot of results. Gideon has zero enthusiasm because now what he's thinking is all about just how he's so unqualified for the job. Gideon tells God that he comes from the weakest tribe of Israel. He says, God, I'm the, I'm the, the least of the least. I'm, I'm just Gideon. Why would you ever want to work through me? I'm just a nothing, a nobody, to which God again responds, don't worry. I'm going to be with you. You're going to strike down the Midianites. But Gideon's not convinced. He still keeps hesitating, and he asks for some signs. God gives him the signs. And even though he's, he's hesitating and, and still not fully there, we see in this story how Gideon's faith slowly starts to build. And we know that it st- starts to build because God, one of the first things he asks Gideon to do is he says, okay, you're, you're, the big picture is you're going to go and free the Israelites from the Midianites. But before you do that, what I want you to do is I want you to go and destroy your dad's idols. So his dad had apparently um, got a little collection of idols, and, and God wants Gideon to destroy those. But Gideon is still not this guy who's this mighty warrior because rather than just go and take care of the job, he waits for the cover of night because he's afraid that his friends and family are going to get really upset. And so he, he does it during, during the night. But, but he, he, does, he does the job. And are you seeing here, though, what kind of person Gideon is? He's, he's reluctant. He's reluctant. Whenever God leads him to a new place, he hesitates. He struggles with fear fear and doubt. He struggles with just feeling completely unqualified for the job that God's asking him to do. But even though he's, he hesitates, even though he's weak and he feels unqualified, he begins to slowly take these steps of faith and, and do what it is that God is asking him to do. He pushes through his fear, he pushes through his doubt, and, and he, he does what God wants him to do. Until the Bible says that next, um, now all the Midianites... Amalekites and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So now the Midianites are going, okay, we want to take on Israel. This is going to be a big battle, and they're gathering a whole, whole army uh, of people. And in that moment, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He, went, he sent messengers throughout Manasseh calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali so that they too went up to meet them. This scene is playing out like something out of the Lord of the Rings, right? Like the battle lines are being drawn. You have these two armies that are just these massive armies. And and Gideon is summoning all these people to himself and they're coming in droves. Eventually his army grows and grows and grows and grows until he has 32,000 men at his, 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 
his, his call, waiting for the, the, the orders to go to war. And before we go any further, I want to just stop for a second and think about the change that has happened in Gideon's life in just a very short span of time. He has gone from being a man that's in hiding to being a man out in front leading. He's gone from being afraid to being full of confidence. He's gone from being weak to being strong. He's gone from this place where he's got no army whatsoever to now all of a sudden he has a very large army. And it looks like Gideon is in just the right spot where he needs to be in order for God to accomplish what he needs to do through Gideon. But as Gideon, as his confidence grows, a funny thing happens. The Bible says this. It says, early in the morning, Jerob Bell, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The, the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, get this, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. And then what God proceeds to do, he proceeds to take this army of 32,000 men and he whittles it down, 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 down until there's just 300 men left. It's like God says, I can't work through 32,000 men. Um, but at 300, he's like, okay, perfect. Let's roll. Let's go get the job done. That's my kind of team. It's like he, he puts the Seahawks, he's got 11 guys on the field, and he says, that's too many, I just want two. Let's just work with two. And you see, what, what, what happened is this. Gideon, in his weakness, gets strengthened by God. He gets built up by God. He gets his, his identity is strengthened. He knows he's a mighty warrior. As he grows stronger and stronger, not only inside of here, but he grows stronger with this big army, something begins to happen that if we're not careful, will happen with us as well. Gideon's strength becomes a flaw. And it becomes a flaw because his strength puts him in a position where he doesn't think he needs God anymore. And God sees right into Gideon's heart. He knows that if he saves him, that he and the rest of the men are not going to be boasting about how great God is. Instead, they're going to be boasting about how great they are. About how great they are. And here's the big point that I want to just hang out on for, for the rest of our time together. That's this. Your greatest strength can become your greatest flaw if it removes God from the picture. Your greatest strength can actually become a... Pr- your greatest flaw, if it pushes God out of the picture and you think you don't, just don't really need God anymore. And I have, as, as a pastor, I have a lot of examples, unfortunately, uh, of this because I've seen it happen so many times. A parent is in a desperate situation with their kids. They don't know what to do. They're weak. They're afraid. They're rattled. And so they begin to cry out to God, and, and they just need God. They're desperate for God. They begin just immersing their, themselves in, in church community again. They're showing up everywhere. And, and then, then God comes along. He, he answers their prayer. He brings them hope. He brings them new life. He puts them on this place that's just solid. And then before you know it, next thing you know, that same person is just gone. You don't see them again. They're just out doing life on their own, living life without God, struggling, um, no church community whatsoever. Their, their new strength 
their calm and their confidence and this new hope that God gave them actually ends up becoming the strength becomes a flaw because it removes them or removes God from the picture. Or, or maybe God asks you to serve in some kind of capacity that you're just not comfortable with. And, and nevertheless, though, um, you do it, and as you do it, you're just like, you're so desperate because you know you're unqualified. So you're saying, God, I need your help. God, come through for me. God, this is, uh, without you, I'm going to seriously fail in this. And so God comes along. He meets you there. He gives you the, the, the strength that you need. He gives you the, the skills. He gives you the talent. He gives you the gifts to, to do the job. And, and as he does, you see big things happen. But then before you know it, you find yourself praying less. You find yourself depending on God less. You find yourself needing Christian community less. And what's happened is this. Your strength, your new confidence, your skills, your talents has become a flaw because it's put you in a position where you don't really feel like you need God anymore. Now, of course, none of us are going to say that out loud, right? We're not going to say, God, I don't need you anymore because I've got this figured out on my own. We're way too spiritual to say that, right? But... But what often happens is our actions speak really loud. It's our lack of prayer. It's our lack of desperation. It's our lack of feeling the need for Christian community. All this is making a very loud statement, and that statement is simply this. I don't really need God. I've got this covered just fine on my own. And, and I don't know if you've ever found yourself in this place. I mean, if we're honest, every single one of us would say, yeah, I've been there more times more times than I would care to admit. We've all done this. We start out weak. We start out broken, desperate, and then we cry out to God. God comes through. Our insecurities turn to strength. Fear turns to confidence. We're able to hand, handle the situation God's put us in. We, we grow and learn. But as all this good stuff is happening, uh, something else begins to happen. And we find ourselves in a place where we just are no longer depending on God like we were back then. And this isn't a good place to be in. It's not a good place because you see the problem with being in this place where you don't really need God is that you're actually living in a place of pride. You're, you think, I can do this. My strength is enough. My means is enough. And sometimes pride is obvious. You know, it's the kid at school who, who, who takes 57 selfies a day. You know, sometimes that, that kind of pride is like kind of obvious. But other times, and I think a lot of times, pride is a lot more subtle. And, and we don't read, when you read Gideon's story, you read nowhere where Gideon is out there going, yeah, I'm the man. Hey, bring it on. I've got what it takes. Hey, there's none of that. It's this kind of subtle thing that, that sneaks in. And where we don't even see it sometimes, God sees it. And there's something in the words that God spoke to Gideon that, that just astound me. God doesn't come along to Gideon and say, hey, Gideon, uh, d- You've got too many men, so I've decided that you guys are probably going to brag about this yourselves, and you're going to take up the glory yourselves, and so I just decide I'm not going to deliver you. God doesn't say it like that. He says, I cannot deliver you. I can't do this. He, he knows that they're not going to give credit to God. They're going to take all or at least some of the glory themselves, so God puts a stop to it because sharing his glory is not something that God does. In fact, in, in the Bible, God says in another place very clearly, he says, I will not share my glory with anyone else. And it's good that he does that. He's God. There's no other, and it would be wrong of him to share his glory 
with another. And so he says to Gideon and to any who would fall in the same trap, I can't work in or through you when you become so self-sufficient, so full of of self-confidence, self-esteem, that you remove me from the picture. I can't work in that situation. It's that that verse in the Bible where where it says God opposes the proud, but he, he does what? He gives grace to the humble. And so the questions that I'd like to answer this morning are these. How do I stay in a place where I'm dependent on God? How do I stay there? I don't want to start there. I want to, I want to stay there. How do I stay there? How do I make sure that I don't let my strength that God's given me, I don't let that become a flaw? How do I stay in a place where I'm living and walking by faith? How do I do that? And there's just two answers that, that I want to give this morning to these questions And the first one is this, if you want to stay in a place where you're humbly living by faith, you need to downsize. To downsize. Gideon has an army of 32,000 men, and God says, Gideon, it's time to downsize. It's time to give you an army that's going to make you desperate for me. It's going to force you to lean in to me. And to be honest this morning, downsizing is not something that we do as much as something that God does something that God does. You see, God wants to keep you and me in a place where we're staying close to him, where we're depending on him, because as we depend on him, as we lean into him, we know his life, we know his presence, we know his joy, we know his peace, no matter what's going on in our, in our lives, and he wants us to stay in that place. And so sometimes what he'll do when, we, when he sees us drifting away or living life without him is he'll allow us to face some circumstances or to deal with some struggles, maybe external or internal struggles, that will move us from being strong to weak. And it will push us into Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he, he understood how this works. He was a man who God worked through in a powerful way. God worked through the Apostle Paul to write half of the New Testament. Um, the gospel was taken to nation after nation after nation. Paul had a lot of things that he could be bragging about, but he was able to stay humble. And his strength that God had given him, he stayed humble. And listen to him explain how he was able to do that. He says this. He says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. He was downsized. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it, take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that so good? Paul doesn't just say, I'm going to put up with my weaknesses. I'm going to grin and bear my weaknesses. He says, I actually delight. Because when, I, when I'm living from a place of, be, of, of staying small, staying weak, the name of Jesus is made big and famous and beautiful and glorious. And, and what does Paul do in this situation where he's got this thorn in his flesh that nobody really knows what that is? We, scholars have guessed for centuries what it is, but nobody really knows. But here he is in this place of weakness, and what does he do? He embraces it. He embraces it. And, and when you let your hardships and difficulties and inadequacies push you into Jesus, it, he, you know, it takes those things that seem like, like he takes the, the weaknesses and he turns them into strengths because instead of you walking in, on, your, on your own, trying to do this in your own strength, 
um, you're, you're going to find yourself living in a place of faith where you're having to depend on God's strength. So the first way that we stay in a place of living humbly by faith is through downsizing. And the second way that it happens is when we do just the opposite, we upsize. Where God is the one who plays the bigger role in the downsizing, we're the ones who play the bigger role in the upsizing. Upsizing happens when you refuse to stay in a place of comfort and safety. It happens when you decide that you're going to dream bigger dreams that you would think imaginable. It happens when you take bigger risks. It happens when you refuse to settle for a life of play-it-safe Christianity and instead live in a way where you're constantly being stretched beyond what you're capable of in your own strength. That's upsizing. It's going, God, I'm not going to stay here. It's going, God, I'm going to go there. It's, it's living life in such a way where you're just constantly being pushed in a place of having to depend deeply on God. This last Thursday, I was able to, I sat down with a lady um, who just wanted to share with me some of, her, some of her vision and dreams and plans that she has for unchurched people here in Whatcom County. And she just has these big dreams. And uh, she's just unpacking all this stuff. And then she says this to me. She says, it's impossible. And I thought, just in, in my head, all these thoughts went through like seconds. But I thought, oh, next thing she's going to say is she's going to say something else that's going to be kind of full of a tone of maybe discouragement. And maybe she's going to say something just feeling weary and kind of defeated. But she didn't do that at all. In fact, she lit up, got this massive smile on her face, and she says, it's impossible. And I kind of like it. Because that's the impossible is where God tends to show up. It's where God shows up. And, and I don't know where you're at this morning, but are you living in a place of faith, place where you're outside of, of your, your comfort zone? Are you there? Are, 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 you, are, you, are you comfortable with the uncomfortable or uncomfortable with the comfortable? You have to write that down for me, Asenia. That was so good. And it's all where you're like, Meh. But where are, you, where are you at this morning? You know, there's two things that followers of Jesus need to keep a very close, wary eye on. One of them is comfort. The other one is safety. These are things that, you know, in our culture, we look at these as being strengths. They, they provide security. Um, those are, those are, are good things. But these can become enemies. They can become flaws if they keep us from living life by faith. You can't be a person who has the spirit of great faith and risk while hanging on to comfort and safety because faith and risk cannot coexist with comfort and safety. Try making that happen, having those four things work together. They, they just don't. Take Gideon, for example. Here he is. God is leading him, calling him to this new place. He's comfortable, safety, living, living this life of just little impact. But in order for him to go where God is leading him, he's going to have to leave the, the comfort and safety behind. He's going to have to step into a place where he has to completely depend on God and where it's not safe. Remember Peter? Peter, this disciple of Jesus, he finds himself, he's in a boat, and as him and the other disciples are out there on the boat, all of a sudden he sees Jesus kind of walking along on the water. Peter gets all excited. He gets full of faith. He says, Jesus, if that's you, then call me to come out there with you, Jesus. And Jesus, who sees this faith that Peter has, he's like, okay, come. And, and Peter, he steps out of that boat. But to do that, he had to leave the safety and the comfort of that boat behind and step out onto the waters where the waves were crashing and the wind was blowing. He had to leave comfort and safety behind because faith 
and risk cannot coexist with comfort and safety. It just, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And, but God will, will push us, constantly push us into a place of, of faith. You know the words that, that I keep hearing in my prayer time lately? I keep hearing God say, Rich, I want you to lead in places that aren't safe. And I don't fully know what that means yet. I have a little bit of an idea in some areas. I know he wants me to go places, be with people, be in situations that, that I'm just not comfortable with. And, and when that happens, my first thought is, God, I don't want to do that. I would actually rather stay here in the bow of the boat, curled up with my blankie, just where it's all safe and nice, secure, predictable. But really deep down inside, I don't think any of us wants safe and predictable. We want to be living life in faith. God says, you know, your security, your safety, your current strength is actually a flaw if it keeps you from living by faith. Rich, I'd rather you get out of the boat into a place where you have to humbly depend on me all the time. It's the same with you. God wants to keep you in that place where you're having to humbly depend on him. And so my question for, for us this morning is where, where have you stopped depending on God in living by faith? Where have you allowed a strength where God has come along and strengthened you in some way? And all of a sudden you, you're just, you're not living by faith anymore. You just start doing life on your own. You don't need him as much. And so he's just kind of put in the back seat. Where does that happen? You know, maybe there's some in the room this morning where, where you were, at one time you were serving God in a way that just you really depended on God. He was stretching you so much. You're going, God, I got to have you. I need your strength. I need your help. And he comes along and he helps you. And then before you know it, you're praying less. You're walking with him less. You're just doing stuff. And I don't, I, I don't know your situation. But where were you at one time just desperate for God, depending on God, but now you've gotten a place where you just are living like you don't, you don't really need him. If you want to stay strong in him while staying weak enough to depend on him, Gideon, he shows us the path to do that. It's living life in such a way that you're constantly being pushed to live by faith. Living life like that. It's, it's not settling for safe, comfortable Christianity. I mean, you saw a living demonstration uh, story this morning of, of Yesenia living this out, refusing to live a safe, comfortable life, and going, God, I'm going to go wherever it is that you, you call me to live. But if you want to stay at a place where your, your strength is, is, is still keeping you close to Jesus, live in a place where you're not safe, to, safe or comfortable. Invite God to keep you dependent on him. Live your life caught up in his greatness and his majesty. Live a life of worship because when you live a life of worship focused on God and who he is, it doesn't matter what he calls you to do, you will have this understanding of the greatness of God where you go, okay, God, this is pretty big. I'm feeling pretty inadequate to do what you're asking me to do, but God, I know how big you are. So God, let's go. Let's go in your help and your strength. And when you keep your, your, your when you live a life of worship focused on Jesus, it will also keep you in a place of being humble. Because when you keep your eyes focused on the greatness of, of God, you will realize, man, I'm pretty small. I'm pretty small. Don't let your strength be, become, don't let your strengths become your flaws. Stay humble before God as you walk with him by faith. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I just um, thank you so much that you are a God who doesn't let us 
You don't let us get to a place where we don't need you. You don't, you don't let that happen. And it's because you love us. It's because you, you want us to stay in a place where we are just desperately dependent on you, where we're going to you as the bread of life and the living water, and we're just constantly wrapping our lives around you. And Lord, I know there's probably somebody here this morning that came in this morning and they're, they're, they're in a place of brokenness. God, there's just a lot of struggle going on in their life. And, and they're looking for you to come and just, and, and just make all the circumstances, all the bad stuff go, go away. But God, you have them here this morning because you want them to press into you in the middle of their difficult circumstances. And so Lord, I pray that, that God, they would embrace that weak place they're in because as they because it's pushing them into you. God, may they be like Paul who said, God, your grace is sufficient for, you, for me because in my weakness I'm strong as I depend on Jesus. God, I pray that you would be just strengthening men, women, students, God, all over this room this morning, God, as they press into you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for any of us, God, that have settled for a Christianity that's just safe, predictable, and quite frankly, very boring. God, I pray that Jesus, you would make us, men, women, students, a big, audacious faith. God, help us to be people, God, who just aren't okay with settling for a life of comfort and safety and security. God, help us to be people who just, who, who, who will go wherever you say go. God, who will who will serve where you ask us to serve, who will give of ourselves in, such, in, in a way that is just bigger than we could do on our own. God, help us to be people who take big risks. God, who dream big dreams. God, who believe in, in the impossible because we serve a God who is a God of the impossible. God, help us to be those kind of people. God, people of big faith. God, help us not to be people who just kind of wait for the feelings and the emotions and whatever to come. God, help us just be people who step out. Who step out. Because you're out there on the water and you're saying, hey, come Come join me out here. And God, as we do this, God, as a, as a, as a people, as a church, God, I pray that, Lord, your, your, your name would be made known. God, I pray that lives would be transformed. I pray that broken hearts would be healed. God, I pray that we would be a church that is, 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 is seeing disciples, followers of Jesus made of all the nations. And, and Father, in the end, God, that your, your name is being glorified and lifted high. God, I ask all this in your, your good name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.